Those are the habits of OKRs. If you do it every week, that practice will say, okay, what am, because look, man, we all start on Monday morning with the best of intentions. And by Friday, we're like, what did we do this week? Right? That's everybody mm -hmm. does that. And yeah. so this forces you to come back and say, okay, what's my most important thing that I'm trying to accomplish this quarter? How do I do that psychokinetic thing that you were talking about? How do I get yeah. that in there and program your brain? And the way you do that is through that habit. You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm with Jeremy Epstein, who is the CMO of GTM Hub, which is the world's largest leading SaaS provider enabling OKR goal-setting methodology. And for those of you who don't know, that stands for Objectives and Key Results. Prior to GTM Hub, Jeremy was the vice president of marketing at Sprinkler, which he grew during his four-year tenure from a 20 million valuation company of 30 people to 1.8 billion valuation and over 1,400 people. Uh, Jeremy also serves as the co-chief investment officer of the Crypto Futura Fund, a thesis-driven hedge fund that identifies undervalued high-potential blockchain-based tokens in the emerging crypto asset class. He has written three books, more than 150 articles, and nearly a thousand blog posts on the impact of blockchain technologies on society, and has briefed senior government officials on multiple occasions. Okay. Well, Jeremy, with that, welcome to the show. Paris, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm very curious because it seems like you've got a, both a, a passion for uh, objectives and goal settings and strategy in general, and I can tell why some of the... Um, classic authors that you're constantly referencing in a lot of your writing combined with blockchain. Um, what is the common, what is the common overlap there? How do those two things connect with each other? Great question. I mean, I've thought about that as I sort of have my own moments of schizophrenia sometimes, but you know, at their core, I think they're really both uh, around this question of alignment, you know, blockchain and crypto economics approaches the question of, how do you get a whole group of people to move together in unison and they, they apply sort of crypto or economic incentives and behavior and game theory to do that? Objectives and key results and strategy is about the alignment of vision with capabilities, right? So it's really this same idea of how do you get a decentralized network? Because whether we like it or not, whether there's a hierarchy in large organizations, that we, especially now post everything we've all been through in the last year and a half, we're a decentralized organization. So how do you get all these people, whether it's three people in an organization or 300,000, moving towards a common objective? And to me, that's really where the overlap is. I'm, I'm sort of fascinated and intrigued by this question of how do you get everybody sort of rowing proverbially in the same direction at one mm -hmm. time? Yeah, really interesting. Let's talk about OKRs. I think most of our audience is very familiar. Probably most of our listeners are using OKRs pretty actively. We ourselves 
uh, use OKRs on, on a quarterly basis. Um, can you just give us a quick explanation of um, why, why should organizations who are not using OKRs, maybe they're doing another method, but what, what is the real value in your opinion of moving to an OKR system, regardless of the size of a company? Focus and outcomes. I mean, basically what OKRs do, uh, they are the best and pr- most proven methodology that I've ever come across for effectively turning strategy into execution into the desired outcomes. It's like, we like to say it's like diet and exercise. If you work out and if you reduce your caloric intake, you will get in better shape. It's Mm -hmm. not always fun to do that. It's sometimes very difficult to do that, but the concepts are very simple. So what OKRs do is the same type of simplicity applied to all of our business lives, which we all know, you know, the moment you open up your computer in the morning, if you don't have that discipline, you're you're on somebody else's agenda with your Slack and your email and your Twitter and your Telegram or whatever you're using, right? So mm-hmm. what OKRs do is they say, okay, what is our objective? What is the qualitative, emotional thing that we want to accomplish? And then what are the key results that will tell us and everybody that in fact we've accomplished that? So again, make it a very simple example. You know, Paris, I'm sure like everybody else, go come January 1, you're going to say, hey, I have a New Year's resolution, right? I'm going to do this in 2022. Maybe you're going to say, I'm going to get in better shape. And I'm going to say, great, good for you. I mean, you're already in great shape, but we'll use that example. I'll say, what does that mean? And you say, well, key result might be I want to run a marathon in under three hours. But another key result could be, well, I want to be able to bench press, you know, 250 pounds, or I want to lower my heart rate, my heart, my blood pressure, or whatever it is. Well, that's fine, but as long what if you don't have that clarity about what success means, first of all, it's going to be very difficult for other people to support and align and collaborate with you because they don't know what success means. And number two is, how are you going to devise an effective strategy to drive those outcomes? Because if you want to bench press 250 pounds, that's a very different set of activities than if you want to run a marathon in under three hours. So by clarifying and simplifying, what does success mean in an international language of numbers, which is what the key results are in a quantitative way, you can facilitate focus and you can say, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm not doing. And you can also facilitate collaboration alignment because other people understand, ah, this is what Paris means when he says, I'm going to get in better shape. So we shouldn't be bringing out the cake, you know, for dessert because he would rather have fruit because that will support (laughs) him or whatever. Yeah, I'm here gotcha. to help Paris. I'm here for you, man. You just gave me uh, an idea for for a question that uh, I hadn't thought about, which is seasonality. Is January really peak for your business? Just because people are really now highly motivated in the same way that they're highly motivated to start a new diet or to start the new workout routine. Yeah, you, you, you have a good intuitive sense of how people behave. I mean, sort of December and January are big. Um, mm-hmm. as are sort of the other, the flip side of this, the calendar, like in, you know, June, July kind of timeframe, depending on what your fiscal cal- uh, cycle is for some companies. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. we definitely see that pick up as people say, okay, this year we're going to effectively execute our strategy. And you're like, fantastic. What are you going to do differently? Oh, well, we're going to do OKRs. The challenge with OKRs is I'm sure you've experienced this is we like to say they're simple, but not easy. They're simple to understand. But like diet and exercise, you know, it's like how many people aren't in the gym on February 1st, right? It becomes mm-hmm. very difficult to maintain that. 
But what OKRs do is they give you that discipline and when you stick with them, you will see results. The challenge for a lot of people is sticking with it. And mm -hmm. that's where we sort of say, look, if you don't have uh, a mindset shift in addition to a methodology, in addition to, of course, world-class software, you're going to have a really difficult time um, driving this sort of new approach because OKRs represent a big mentality shift from what we all sort of grew up in, in the industrial productivity output driven era to the mm -hmm. knowledge worker effectiveness outcome driven era. You know, I don't mm -hmm. care how many hours a day you work, Paris. I just care. Are you driving the leads? Are you improving my SEO? Are you whatever it is that you're tasked with? That's all I care about. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you do it in two hours a day or 15 hours a day. Not my problem. Right. And that's yeah. what we're trying to do is give people that ability to stay focused. And when they do that, it's amazing what people can accomplish when they say, you know, as my CEO likes to say, OKRs are as much about what you don't do as what you do do. And by stripping mm -hmm. that out, it helps drive the results. Yeah. Are you familiar with the, with the book Psycho-Cybernetics? No, uh, it sounds uh, like Malcolm. it should be. Yeah. It's, uh, Maxwell, uh, I just blanked on the author, but I'll, I'll send it to you. But it, it's from the 1960s and it's about psychology and it's about that the, the human brain really acts like a heat-seeking missile. If it has a clear goal, a lot of the times the behavior towards that goal can become almost unconscious. If As mm. long as the goal is very, very clear, um, the person's actions can uh, even subconsciously lead them to that goal as long as they continue to focus on it. And I see OKRs as a similar kind of a... A similar kind of thing. That's really um, interesting. Which is, I'd have to read that book because it's how, mm -hmm. I sometimes will refer to OKRs as like a meditation for business, which it just sort mm -hmm. of brings you back to center and says, this is what I'm focusing on. And I believe that it makes sense that it permeates your subconscious. That's really, that's really interesting concept. Uh, uh, right. It's, it's a uh, Maxwell Maltz. It was written okay. in 1960. It's called Cy Psycho Cybernetics. That was certainly a book that influenced me a lot. I read it I think I read it about a year ago uh, because I had a business coach that was telling me and coaching coaching me to visualize how I wanted what I wanted to be thinking about as I reflected on my year uh, a year out. So it was around this time last nice. year, and he was saying, "Picture what what you want to be thinking about as you reflect back on 2021, and then try to clarify that, and then based on that." you know, set, start setting some goals. And that, that naturally led to OKRs within, within our company, actually. How'd you do um, this year? Did it work? Uh, we, we did okay. I mean, we, we did fall <laughs> a little bit short, but, but we, still, we still had great growth. And I think, uh, objectively speaking, it was a great year. Uh, it wasn't as good as 2020, but I think that COVID, uh, we were on the, one of the winning sides of, of COVID and, and that 2020 year was, was huge for us. But I, I think, think you anybody... just hit on something really important that people should remember, which is, and you said, look, we, it wasn't as great. You know, we could have done better. And that, that couple things, one, the self-compassion, but two, what OKRs are designed to do is to stretch people. It's yeah. not about sandbagging and just like, oh, be conservative. It's really about getting out of your proverbial comfort zone and saying, I'm going to think at a different dimension to achieve these sort of, uh, you know, semi-unrealistic objectives. And, and what we like to say is that a 70% key result attainment is actually pretty good. So yeah. anything above that's fantastic. So if you set ambitious goals, it's like, what is it? You know, aim for the stars, land on the moon kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I think it's great. And then recognizing, okay, we didn't quite do it. 
What did we learn? Where did we make mistake? What are the opportunities for growth? Because the knowledge is the key input for knowledge workers, which is everyone who's listening to this podcast. Yeah, very, very true. And I remember that uh, I was at Google for a couple of years and this, that's when I first got introduced to OKRs. And my manager would say, if, if you were hitting 100% of all your OKRs, then you, you didn't stretch yourself enough. And there was an expectation that you would fall short, but the act of pursuing a stretch goal will push you further and will help you to achieve more than otherwise would be possible. And it's because probably most, most of us don't, most of us actually underestimate our own potential, I believe. I mean, I think that's just part of human nature. Um, we are all capable of, of going further than we, than we really believe we can do. And it's scary. I mean, it's scary to sort of have these really big, you know, what Jim Collins, right? BHAGs or whatever. It's scary. And it's also mm -hmm. for, you know, for people, everyone at Google, you know, or, or people who are listening to this podcast are naturally high achievers. They're used to getting 90%, 95% in, you know, college and, or university and high school or whatever. They're used to getting the, the awards and whatever. So when you see a quarter where you come in at like 62% in an OKR world, it can be like, oh, you know, I suck. But the reality is you don't yeah. suck. You shot harder. And right, the whole right. idea is to stretch you. And it takes a while to build that muscle, just like it takes a while in the gym and build the right habits. These are habits for mm -hmm. this economy, this, this mindset, not just, oh, here's another tool and that I'm just going to update every week. That's not the point. Right, right. So I'm curious now, is, um, are you all looking at habitual use as a signal of um – even to predict, let's say, predict lifetime value or to try to identify at-risk churn cohorts that are that are not exhibiting the habits or they, maybe they're active in January and they start tapering off in February. I mean, certainly we, we look at that. I think for us, it's, it's more interesting to look at, you know, what are the habits of the people and the organizations that do make big headway against their key results? It's not so much we're worried about losing because we know, it, you know, we we, did, we had a study once where 72% of first-time OKR implementations fail, right? And they're not failing because the software is not good. The software is phenomenal. It has nothing to do with it. They're failing because they haven't bought in. They haven't developed those habits to your point. Mm -hmm. And so what it requires sometimes is for people to learn the hard way. But what we've seen is that the people who either learn, you know, fail the first time and come back the second time, which is really consistent with the OKR sort of mentality or who are saying mm -hmm. we're going to do it. And then there is an executive who can drive it. What we've seen is they're the ones who are really performing incredibly well. So yes, mm -hmm. the negative is true. If you don't do the habits, you're, you're probably, you, know, you should churn because you don't really need us because you don't have what it takes, you know, to be totally crass about it. But what's more mm -hmm. interesting is no, the people who do develop the habits, who do go to the gym, who do cut back on the sweets, they see the, they see the results that they're looking for and then they're thrilled, which is, you know, we're about enabling success. Yeah. And when you mentioned failure, it, man, sorry. Yeah, that's great. I mean, so am I too. I mean, I think, um, it's, yeah, at some point we're going to dive deeper, but I, I also really like this topic a whole lot. Um, when you mentioned failure, a failed implementation, you're, you're referring to someone who ultimately is, is just not going to continue to use the product, but not who failed the, in their OKRs by some type of quantitative measure. Right. Yeah. Or I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, whether they failed in their OKRs is, is, you know, th there's a good correlation between people who don't achieve their OKRs and 
people who don't develop the habits of good OKR practices. So, you know, mm-hmm. if, you know, you might get in better shape by the end of this year, if even if you don't go to the gym. But mm-hmm. if you do go to the gym, your odds of success are much higher. And yeah. so that's basically the same kind yeah, of idea. I think, well, I think what I'm trying to get at with the question is, is there some sort of a sweet spot or a range of OKR, or OKR fulfillment that indicates that, uh, that this is going to be a high value user? So an example would be um, maybe on the, on the inverse. If, if a company is hitting 100% quarter of a quarter of all their OKRs and they're, they're effectively sandbagging, does that actually right. predict that they're just kind of not really using it the right way and that they might also be at risk of churning? Um, on the flip side, somebody that fails so miserably that it was also just unrealistic OKR setting. Is there a yeah, range I mean, that would say this range of hitting OKRs means that they've done it the right way and that we have a really good, probably long-term user? I think a better indicator, like because look, I'm the CMO of an OKR company and I still screw up in making OKRs. Like I look at my team's OKRs, you know, we, we have, we're in the midst of our Q1 planning process right now. And this happens to me every quarter where we develop OKRs, we work on alignment, whatever. And then about a month or six weeks into the quarter, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? This is the dumbest OKR of all time. Like, why would I come up with this? Or, you know what, we blew this one out of the water or, or excuse me, like we had no chance against this because we didn't focus on it. So I think it's less about that. And it's more Mm -hmm. about, like my team knows the one thing I really care about because I don't care where they work. I don't care when they work. I mean, all that stuff doesn't matter to me. I do care that once a week they go in and they make sure the numbers are accurate. Now, most of them are dynamic and connected to other systems. So that's taken care of. Uh, I want them to assign what we call a confidence interval. How confident are you in hitting or achieving your OKR or your KRs? And I want you to put in a meaty comment a, it's for you. B, it's for me. But C, it's for your whole team because that facilitates knowledge sharing and you can see the habit. So mm-hmm. the reason I share that is those are the habits of OKRs. If you do it every week, that practice will say, okay, what am Because look, man, we all start on Monday morning with the best of intentions. And by Friday, we're like, what did we do this week, right? That Everybody mm-hmm. does that. And yeah. so this forces you to come back and say, okay, What's my most important thing that I'm trying to accomplish this quarter? How do I do that psychokinetic thing that you were talking about? How do I get yeah. that in there and program your brain? And the way you do that is through that habit. So I think for us, it's seeing the organizations that don't have that good OKR habitual discipline. That's a better mm-hmm. indication of who's going to be a failure or a success than whether you hit it one quarter or not. Because setting and, and executing against OKRs, is they're meant to be difficult and they are. Yeah. Uh, a more specific question, because you answered the question that I was going to ask about frequency. So weekly, your team is going in I'm and cool refining. Yeah, they're yeah. refining confidence intervals. They're putting they're putting a comment in there. Um, what um, what would you feel for a marketer, somebody somebody a digital marketer, let's say in a SaaS company? What's an approximate good, healthy number of OKRs to try to even tackle in a quarter? So basically what we say is that each person should have one OKR and an OKR is the one objective and anywhere from three to five key results. Now, Mm -hmm. 
So I have my OKR, which predictably has things like pipeline, you know, number of unpaid visit growth in unpaid visitors. I look at, you know, how how much of our um, MQL to SQL conversion rate, like things that I think are really important to move in the business. And then everyone throughout mm -hmm. my team has their own OKRs. Now, there are certain examples where it's a team working on it and they'll have a shared OKR. So you might have an objective of like, for example, our organic traffic is not where I want it to be, right? So we have a lot of things. I mean, we have good stuff, but we need to do a lot of work. So mm. that's a shared OKR, right? So we have some people who is making sure that the keywords are, you know, done. We have somebody who's working on the domain ranking. We have, you know, the developers working on the back end of the site. So they all are mm -hmm. uh, attacking different key results. But the point is, you don't want to overwhelm people with too many things to focus on because then you're basically losing the effectiveness. The beauty of OKRs is the simplicity of getting rid of everything that's not important and asking yourself, what is the single, I mean, the book I have on my desk, which I highly recommend is The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. Drucker's mm -hmm. the grandfather, as you know, of OKRs. And basically he says, the, mm -hmm. what makes an effective executive is, and we're anyone in a knowledge, company is an executive. That's his point. He coined the term knowledge worker. Basically says the thing you should ask yourself every day is what is the one thing that I can do today to make a substantive difference against the business? Because the rest of the day, you're going to be dealing with all kinds of nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. OKRs bring that, allow it to be put in practice, and then allow it to scale out to any size organization and give people that understanding, like, this is what I need to focus on today. Am I moving the dial against this? If yes, great. If not, what am I doing and what am I getting paid for? So yeah. that's really valuable for people. And it helps the team. They feel fulfilled. They like they know yeah, what absolutely. they need to do and they make progress and they understand how it all connects. And it's rewarding to feel like, oh, my work has meaning and I'm making progress. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the absence of OKRs would, would lead a lot of people to just go go to the inbox and, and just go to the top of the inbox and you know, last whatever the last message received becomes the yep. first priority of the day, Correct. which is really not, not a good way to work. No. Uh, let's pivot over into, into the actual marketing of, of an OKR software company. Mm -hmm. It's a, such an interesting dynamic space. Um, I see that my general sense is that, that the adoption is at an all-time high. How much of your efforts are put into educating, educating the market to grow the top of the funnel where if you succeed there, you're the natural you're the natural software choice, versus the people who are already, let's say, very well aware of this and and know they have a need for it, but are using anything from, you know, embedding this into their project management tool or or just simply using spreadsheets or some other right, or right. older method. That's still a big audience, and they're lower down in the funnel, probably easier easier to grab and with a higher immediate ROI. How do you think about balancing uh, those two objectives? Man, you're really good. If this, if whatever you're doing now doesn't work out, you, GTM Hub will we'll take you, man. You understand our, our challenge. You know, I, I like to joke with our team that sort of our role in marketing is to take people from OKR unaware to OKR mm -hmm. curious to what I call OK religion, right? And you get okay. to that point. And so that's the journey. And we've struggled with this. We've played on both sides of those from because, you know, it's more than about OKRs. It's about driving effective outcomes. OKRs is just the way to do it. But to your point, there are other people there who have read Measure What Matters, who have heard about OKRs, who have acquired that OK religion. So we need to be the natural choice. So yes, 
I'd say it's yes and, which makes a marketing nightmare. I try to spend more of our time on the people who have already gotten to the point where because OKRs are so challenging and because so many of them, you know, if it, convincing you that OKRs are the way to go is just going to take a lot more work. So I sort of over rely on the people who have already come around and we've done our best to help them and educate them. And we're very transparent about the mistakes we've made as an OKR organization. Um, mm -hmm. So I tend to focus more on that and less on, let me just go out and educate everybody because that's an expensive time consuming proposition. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and in the space itself, uh, I mean, you, you all are a pure play and there's a lot of interesting action going around uh, on the adjacent, adjacent categories, some bigger or, or otherwise. You've got, clearly there are HR tools that you could quasi say we're competing with. There's other just pure like, task management, uh, the Asanas and, of the world and ClickUp, you know, that have, that have a, a goals section. Um, and then you've you got the direct competitors, the other OKR software companies. How do you see this environment developing? And do you think that uh, just, is there a legitimate threat that the, the people that are bundling, like ClickUp, the ClickUps of the world that are going to try to bundle more and more things into an all-in-one tool? Is that, a, is that a real threat for you all? Or do you think people are going to still want to go for a, a pure play software for OKRs? Yeah. So again, jobs yours if you want it. You got it. Um, you're right. I mean, I don't worry too much about the people who bundle OKRs with HR. I think those companies are going to go off a cliff because if you're trying to connect performance management with execution management and stretch goals, like you're basically shooting yourself in the foot from, from the beginning. So I'm not worried about them. The task management people, you know, like the Asanas obviously have tremendous reach or what have you, but again, they're coming at it from a task orientation, not from a, prioritization orientation. And then secondly, uh, associated with that is it's, it, you know, you and I could do OKRs every day on a whiteboard or a, or a PowerPoint or an Excel spreadsheet. That's easy. Doing it with 5,000 people where it's aligned and you have sort of a three-dimensional network architecture where you're trying to have all these systems, that's really difficult. So the architecture of an enterprise grade OKR platform is critical. Task management companies have, have a fundamentally different foundation. So, yes, I'm sure they'll mm -hmm. capture market share in the short term, but like it's not going to work at scale because the, the foundation for what needs to be done when it comes to strategy execution management and this you know global alignment isn't really there. So that leaves the, the pure plays. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm biased. But we're the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great take on it. Um, uh, I think task managers would, I think by their nature are looking at this as a more bottom up. So you, you have to, first of all, build tasks around a project and then, it, then goal setting becomes uh, kind of a exercise of organizing these tasks and trying to find a higher purpose as opposed to your approach, which is, which is much more looking at the top down, which is what are our, what are our real goals and objectives? And then what, what are the tasks that are going to get us there? Yeah, and, and when you have a task coach. question, like it, it becomes a great management uh, or leadership mechanism when somebody says, oh, I'm doing X, then I can say, okay, which of your key results is this going to impact? And is this the single biggest thing you can do to impact it? And if they say yes, then I say, okay, go ahead. 
And if they say, hmm, you know, I'm not so sure. And, and that, that simple question, it doesn't make me as the CMO the bad guy instead of saying that's dumb. Mm. You know, I might be thinking that's dumb, but I'm not going to say that's dumb. But it gives me sort of a third party that is like, you agreed to this OKR at the beginning of the quarter. Help me understand how this task is going to affect that. And if they can't explain that, because look, we all get caught up and everybody's asking for stuff. You know how it is. So that yeah. that process is great. But if you just start to add stuff to your task list, then you know, you're pushing in 15 different directions. Good luck yeah. with that. Yeah. I'm gonna go to a couple of questions from some of our nice some of our hop onliners. And questions from the audience. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Emre, who is our, our head of growth. Um, he's curious to know about specifically the setting of marketing OKRs, and it's something that I'm I'm sure that uh, you you even said that, as ironic as it may seem, as a as a the CMO of a of an OKR company, you still struggle with it. Are there any are there any do's and don'ts when it comes to setting OKRs for your marketing team, and can you just walk us through your approach to that? Yeah, sure, I definitely can. Um, you know, I think that the the do's is I don't tell other people what their OKRs should be. I say, here are the OKRs for me. Now, you know what you're good at. You know where you'd like to focus. What can you do that's going to significantly impact what I need to do, what we need to do as a marketing organization? Excuse me. So I think the first thing is don't like dictate OKRs to your mm -hmm. team. The whole point, or sorry, one of the points of this methodology is to empower people to take risks, to try new things, to explore new things and achieve results based on where they think the opportunities are. Because as a CMO, like I, I basically, to be honest, I have no clue what's going on most of the time. Right. And, you know, but the people down on the front lines really understand it. So I don't want to be able to like, you do this because I don't really know. Like if I could do their job, mm -hmm. I would do it and I wouldn't need them. So the first thing is don't, yeah. don't dictate. Second thing is be collaborative and listen, because then they come to me and say, okay, here's what I'm thinking of doing. So I, I listen and I try to understand, and, and my CEO likes to call it the recursive why, like, or like the Toyota five whys. And he's like, why is that the most important thing? Why is that going to move the needle? And you keep asking why and pulling it back. Why is that the metric you want to focus on? Why does that metric, metric really matter for this? And then it forces people to really ask them, like, okay, well, is this, you know, if I focus on improving the number of, you know, backlinks to our site, is that really going to improve our overall domain rank, which we really need to do? Or is there a better mm -hmm. use of my time? Like, no, we should just fix like the, the robots.txt and h1 stuff on our site or whatever, because the fundamental structure is still not working. So we should do that first. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the kind of things um, that we that we look at. And then the third thing is as a leader. I have to um, practice what I preach. I have to have my OKRs. I have to update them. I have to show people mm -hmm. I'm committed to them. And then, you know, every Sunday, Sunday is my OKR review day. I go in, I read everybody's comments. I'll comment. I'll ask questions about it. And, it, you know, like they like to joke, like they know I'm paying attention that way. And here's what's mm -hmm. going on. So I think for me, those are the couple things. And the last thing I'll say is, I don't know if it's the last thing because I'm going to keep talking, but it's sort of like, I think that self-compassion with yourself and infinite patience with your team, you're going to get it wrong. It's really hard to do it. And giving yourself that, that um, 
leeway to make mistakes and to learn. And, and actually, we just published a, a white paper for CMOs, uh, which I wrote. And it's about how to achieve, you know, outsized results. We're one of the fastest growing SaaS companies in the world. So what do we do? And to me, more important than almost any of that is a culture where people feel safe. You know, unless yeah. you do something egregious, like I'm not going to fire you. Right. But mm -hmm. as long as I see you trying and focused and pushing and pushing and pushing, that's what I want to see. And, and having that culture where people feel safe about trying and failing, which is why the performance management guys aren't going to make it, in my opinion. Um, I think that's really critical. So hopefully, Emre, and if you have any questions, man, feel free to hit me up. Sure. Thanks for that. That's a great answer. The other question is from Monica. And I love the SEO examples because Monica is on our SEO team, but it's not nice. at all about SEO. It's much bigger picture. Um, and it's really about, and she, she's a, a young, uh, young marketer with a bright future. And she's, she's wondering what, what skills, if she's acquiring the right skills at this point of her career. And so she's asking, uh, do you see certain trends that, that affect certain trends that are affecting the future of mar of marketing and what sh what should be the top skills that a young marketer today should be pursuing really in order to to stay on top and to future future proof in a sense their their career gotcha gotcha well stop hyping monica because i might have to come poach her so we don't want to <laughs> do that but no no we're in a poach free zone it's all good um I'd say there are two things that I, I think is worth focusing on. And this actually comes back to your original question about blockchain and crypto, which is, um, I th and we're starting to see Apple and Google shut down data, you know, advertising, what have you. I think the future is mm -hmm. going to be one where we have increasingly less information about our customers. So we have to figure out how to deliver value where I don't have access to like all your personal data and all your click things. So mm -hmm. that might take a decade to play out. But if Monica is where she is in her career, like I would start looking as they say, you know, the hockey analogy is skate to where the puck's going. So I don't know if Monica, you're a hockey fan, but no offense. So skate to where, run to where the football is going, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. so number one is thinking about how would, how would I deliver value in a world where I can't, I don't have this crutch of PII as a word. That's number one. And the second thing mm -hmm. I, I think that's really critical, and it's it started about a decade ago with the advent of social media, is community. How do you build a community of, of like-minded individuals who are interested in them? And then the key to community for me is it's not about you. No one cares about you. They care about themselves and their career. And how do you facilitate a, a network where people are mixing with each other? And it's not one to many, it's many to many. So there are probably a few others, but those would be the two that sort of pop uh, pop into my head for starters. Yeah, that's that's great. I totally agree with you on on the community aspect. I think uh, it that's that's hard to do, but if you can do Very that, hard. you build such a killer competitive advantage. Totally, because then the community the, the community really becomes an army of marketers who are working for you, and if, if they're getting value, that's that's great. Uh, I had Guillaume from Lemlist on about a month ago, and. He's built a Facebook community of something like twenty thousand people. Wow! And and that that drives so much. And they're still doing most of their acquisitions through organic because of their efforts with with their community. And when you have that much of your growth coming from non paid, from either driven with a community or great just great organic growth, 
from, from also from SEO and content. That actually allows you to be so much more competitive in the paid auctions themselves because really mm. what matters is the blended CAC, so to speak. Yep. And, and the more you can drive through non-paid sources, which you mentioned non-paid sources earlier, um, the more competitive you can outbid, you can outbid your direct competitors in the paid auctions if that's all they're doing or if they're over-relying on, on paid. So um, that's more, maybe more of a tactical reason, but- No, that's a great who, observation. Who doesn't, and also, who doesn't want to just build an awesome brand? I mean, I think that's what we're all really in this for. Right. Um, is, to, is, to, is to leave some sort of a legacy and, and to be able to say, I, I was one of the pioneers on GTM Hub and now it's a household name. Mm. Uh, but I remember the days when we, we, we only had, I don't know, 5,000 fans or whatever it might be. Right, but, right. You know, we were, that to me is the truly rewarding stuff. And I think also for a young marketer, um, it's, beyond, it's beyond just mastering the tools and the platforms, but it's just also really investing in understanding human psychology and people's need to belong totally. to communities and, and what kind of value they want to get in their own lives and their own careers. Yeah. I would probably read more psychology and game theory books than I would marketing books. Like, yeah. cause it's really, that's like you're dealing with people. And so understanding yeah. how they think, what motivates them, you know, yeah. I mean, and the, the tools, yeah. the tools and the platforms will continue to evolve. And I think oh over gosh. time, those are going to become more and more driven by AI and they're going to be automated. Mm -hmm. And in a way, uh, marketing will is starting to already come full circle and it is coming back more to, psychology and a deep understanding of, of your, your customer and their, their needs, their pain points, yep. their goals. Yep. And, and I, I'm actually excited about the, the fact that third-party cookies are, are uh, this is the last chapter for sure, mm -hmm. uh, because I think it's going to force us as marketers to reconnect and build deeper relationships with customers and, and also to figure out how to use our own data, the first-party data. And I think that a lot of, a lot of companies are sitting on a mountain of first-party data Totally. But they haven't been forced to use yet just because third-party cookies have been so right. useful at, it's like a at drug. just giving it's you cheap customers. drugs. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, this, this has been fantastic, uh, Jeremy. Was there anything that I didn't ask you that, that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, I mean, usually the question is, you know, the questions I get about OKRs are sort of, when should I start? And the answer is as soon as possible, uh, because it's mm -hmm. going to take a while. And do I have to use OKRs? And my answer is sort of like flip, which is, um, well, by the end of this decade, everybody who survives is going to be using OKRs. So that's kind of up to you. Like, mm -hmm. those are sort of the two things I look. But, you know, I mean, I'm just, for me, it was an honor to be here. I'm happy to talk uh, marketing anytime. And you obviously know a lot more about this than I do. So like I said, you and Monica, in fact, the whole marketing team will just come <laughs> over. We'll just take you guys. Thanks, um, thanks for that invite. Yeah, for sure. But um, no, I really appreciate the opportunity. And if anyone has questions, feel free to hit me up and you know we can, yeah. we can chat then. On, on that note, Jeremy, where can people find you online? What's the best place to, to yeah, reach Yeah, I mean, look, you, you can always go to gtmhub.com. We have a wealth of OKR uh, and, and other sort of resources that will be good uh, starting pack. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm big on Twitter, J-E-R-979. Mm. Um, and then that's pretty much the place is to hit jeremy at gtmhub.com if you really want to send yeah. an email so those are hey, probably the can best i places. also I, i've also just noticed that you didn't mention this but you have a blog it, it's uh, never stop marketing 
And I have to say, it looks like you're blogging every day, which is really impressive. I blog five days a week. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, um, but before we wrap up, I mean, that is, I really, I really hats off to you for that. I think that there's a lot of people that would aspire to doing something like that. It must take incredible discipline, but I'm sure now it's a habit that you built. Um, if I wanted to start blogging every day from next year, let's say that's one of my personal OKRs. Um, how hard is it and how did you develop that habit? I mean, I started blogging in like 2000. So I sort of, uh, oh, it's you been, know, okay. but you know, this blog that I've, I, I committed to the, or I started doing it daily, uh, maybe, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And it does take some discipline for sure. And it is a habit for sure. But sort of for me, like I have a very regimented morning routine, right? And part of it is I'm going to sit down. Uh, here's here, I have a couple of actual maybe valuable insights on this one. Maybe up to you. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing is I don't really give a shit if anybody reads my blog. Like it's not for them. I just write mm-hmm. something that's on my mind that I'm struggling with. And I just say, I'm going to crank something out. I do one pass. I don't edit. I don't do anything. I just like crank it out and I throw it out there. Here's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking about. And I'll link back. And for me, I like to go back. If other people want to read it, more power to them. So I think the first thing is if you lose that feel, that natural sense of embarrassment of like, oh, what are other people going to think when in reality, most people aren't even going to read your blog, let alone care. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a good start. The second thing is to just sort of time box it. And number three is don't worry about like editing, just publish. I mean, you're not, you're not at the, and so yeah, just crank it out and just put it out there and just like, you know, it, you'll, it will, it will do wonders for your own thought process. Oh, and then the last thing I'll say it is if you want to start blogging next year, you should start today. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you waiting, man? Like, just start. That's a good. That's a good point. Like, you're just giving yourself an excuse to not start. And right. I'm sensing your BS, man. So just start blogging today. You, you got me on that one. You I got know. Me on that. I think that there's actually a list. <laughs> there's a list of things that I've told myself are going to start from January one, and probably a lot of people do this too. I mean, it's a natural thing. And you're already giving yourself an excuse, and then you're. I mean, that you're already almost in the wrong or uh, wrong state of mind already if if you're already. Uh, prone prone to excuse making. Um, I also find that, I mean, one of the dirty little secrets about this this podcast. I'm thrilled to have you on, but we don't have an audience of a, of a hundred thousand listeners. I do this as much for my own clarity of thought and to be and just to be able to meet really cool people like yourself and just really just shoot the breeze and and just try to see what what's cool out there that somebody might be doing that that we don't know about yet and. Um, I find that gives me incredible clarity of thought. And so I think that that's, that's also blog. the best maybe content. Maybe doing the podcast yeah. is the way to do it for you. Just keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, what episode number is this for you anyway? We're, we're, uh, we passed 50 episodes. I don't know exactly which number this is, but it's 50 something. So we, we, that was a big milestone. So I think most podcasts. And habit. But, uh, give yourself some credit, bud. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Maybe you just no, say, I, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. Sure, I, I definitely will keep, keep doing this. Yeah, I, this is this is uh, the the most fun. I think part the important thing is not whether it's blogging or podcasting or whatever. It's what you and I have both done in our own ways, right? I'm an older man than you are, so I started earlier before podcasting, right? I'm not sure about that. I don't know. Should we put a little wager 40, on it? I'll be 45. 
Uh, I got you, man. I'm I'm staring down the barrel at 49. Okay. So there you go. I win. Woo. Um, it is like is that carving out of time to step back and just think, you know, sort of the proverbial big thoughts. And what you've done, and I think it's great, is you've said, I'm going to make this podcast that vehicle where I'm just going to get people who I just want to talk about with. You don't have 100,000 people. You're not generating $20 million of revenue through the podcast yet. After this show, of course, you will. But, you know, needless (laughs) to say, you're welcome. Um, Just remember the little guys who got you there. Um, You know, but you're carving out that time to have that conversation and just be yourself and ask the natural Mm -hmm. questions. So maybe that's all you need to do. Don't stress about the blogging. Why are you adding more to your task list? Yeah, good point. Awesome. Jeremy, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And look forward to staying in touch. Everybody, GTM Hub is the company. You can find Jeremy there or on LinkedIn. And I hope we can do this again sometime, Jeremy. It's, I think there's honor. a lot more we could talk about. And um, I think that the, this conversation is, is perfect timing as we look to wrap up this year and look ahead to b- bigger true. and better things next year. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity and thank you for the great questions. Thank you too. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.